you are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Tuesday, September 22nd. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Sierra Timberline, serving the community for over 40 years, offering American-made eco-friendly furniture, gas and wood stoves, also fireplaces, energy-efficient hot tubs, and solar shade awnings. Open daily on Idaho Maryland Road, Grass Valley, sierratimberline.com. And Dr. Michael McCormick and Alpine Allergy and Asthma Associates, Inc., Reminding listeners that allergy testing and desensitization can alleviate seasonal suffering. Specializing in diagnosis of asthma and allergies for adults and children with locations in Grass Valley and Auburn. AlpineAllergyAndAsthma.com And Ag Natural and Grass Valley Hydro Garden. Offering gardening supplies, greenhouse, hydroponic, and light systems, also organic soils and nutrients. Ag Natural is on Idaho Maryland Road and Grass Valley Hydro Garden on Clydesdale Court. Online at grassvalleyhydrogardenstore.com. We start tonight's newscast with Steve Baker reporting that Nevada County is moving into the orange moderate tier for businesses reopening. We then bring you NPR headlines and regional weather. Paul Emery talks with Jeff Merriman, Program Manager of the Cannabis Compliance Division of Nevada County, about a workshop to be held later this week. We bring you this week's water news with hydrogeologist Steve Baker. Closing out today's newscast, we have Mark Cunaberti with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you Embracing the Journey. And at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, here is Steve Baker with a breaking Nevada County update. Well, the state is announcing today that Nevada County has moved from the red substantial tier to the orange moderate tier because of Nevada County's 2.0 per day per 100,000 residents new COVID cases average and its 1.2 positivity rate. This means, among other things, restaurants can open indoors to 50% capacity or 200 people, whichever is fewer with modifications, and each category we mentioned comes with modifications. Retail can open with no capacity limits. Movie theaters can open indoors for up to 50% capacity or 200 people. Gyms and fitness centers can open up to 25% and indoor pools are included. Family entertainment centers, including bowling alleys and climbing walls, can open to 25% capacity. Places of worship can open indoors up to 50% of capacity or 200 people. Bars and breweries without food, outdoors only. Wineries indoors up to 25% capacity or 100 people, whichever is fewer. Now, county health officials are reminding residents that the increased numbers could spark additional cases and say people should continue to practice social distancing, masking, hand washing, and minimize social mixing between households. Nevada County joins El Dorado, Plumas, and a handful of Northern California, North, and Far North counties in the Orange Moderate ranking. No Southern California counties are in this group currently. For KBMR News, I'm Steve Baker. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney says he will consider President Trump's forthcoming nominee to fill the Supreme Court vacancy following the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. As NPR's Susan Davis reports, Romney's decision makes it more likely the Senate will fill the vacancy before the election. With Romney on board, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell appears to have the party unity he will need to confirm President Trump's nominee in the coming weeks. 
Romney has broken ranks before, but he told reporters today that he would not vote to block the process from advancing and would consider the nominee on the merits. He also acknowledged that a successful confirmation would shift the ideological balance of the court towards conservatives. But my liberal friends have, over many decades, gotten very used to the idea of having a liberal court. And that's not written in the stars. The White House says President Trump will announce his nominee Saturday. Susan Davis, NPR News, Washington. Even as Republicans are signaling their willingness to line up behind President Trump and back his nominee to fill the seat vacated by the death of Justice Ginsburg, Senate Democrats say they oppose such a vote now. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer saying the American people don't want the vote ahead of the election, warning a multitude of rights could be endangered by a 6-3 to three majority conservative court. Health care, protections for pre-existing conditions, Women's rights, gay rights, workers' rights, labor rights, voting rights, civil rights, climate change, and so much else is at risk. Schumer says nothing is off the table for Senate rules changes if Democrats were to win control of the Senate in November. He said his Republican colleagues should honor the justice's dying wish and hold off on filling her seat until after the election. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta has released its guidance for safely celebrating fall events like Halloween and Thanksgiving. As Sam Whitehead from member station WABE reports, the agency says activities like trick-or-treating or attending parties can be high risk for spreading the coronavirus. CDC guidance released this week says people should consider several factors as they plan events, including community levels of coronavirus transmission and the duration and location of the gathering. The agency says people who suspect they're infected or are at high risk of severe illness from COVID-19 should skip in-person activities. For Halloween, the CDC says not to use costume masks in place of cloth masks and that door-to-door trick-or-treating could easily spread coronavirus. For Thanksgiving, the agency recommends avoiding crowded parades, parties, or road races and says it's a good year to take a pass on Black Friday shopping at busy retail stores. For NPR News, I'm Sam Whitehead in Atlanta. The latest guidance comes as the death toll from COVID-19 in the U.S. now tops 200,000. Stocks snapped their losing streak today, closing higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 140 points. You're listening to NPR. The Trump administration is calling on the Supreme Court to act quickly on its efforts, which were blocked in a lower court, to exclude people in the U.S. illegally from the 2020 census count. The administration is saying in court papers today the court should hear arguments in the case in December, potentially with a new justice appointed by President Trump in place. That would allow for a decision before the deadline of January 10, 2021, to release the results of the once-in-a-decade headcount. Home sales continue to be a rare, bright spot for the U.S. economy. NPR's Chris Arnold reports sales of existing homes kept rising in August despite the coronavirus pandemic. Sales were up 2% from the month before and up more than 10% from a year ago. Part of what's driving sales is families deciding they need more space since many people are working from home and have kids in school remotely as well. The National Association of Realtors says low interest rates and a tight supply of homes for sale is also pushing up home prices. They're up 11% from a year ago to a median price of $310,000. That can't go on forever. The Realtors Group says rising prices will, quote, inevitably harm affordability and hinder homeownership opportunities. The group says there's a serious need for new homes to be built. 
Chris Arnold, NPR News. The union representing Canadian auto workers says it's reached a tentative three-year contract deal with Ford that will include the construction of five new electric vehicles at plants near Toronto. Union President Jerry Diaz saying the agreement was reached early today after all-night bargaining. The tentative agreement includes $1.46 billion in new investment at Ford's three Canadian factories. This is NPR. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in the Grass Valley and Nevada City area, widespread haze is possible tonight after 11 p.m. with a low around 57. Wednesday, widespread haze is also possible before 11 a.m., then sunny with a high near 81 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 55. Tonight in Sacramento, widespread haze is likely mostly after 11 p.m. with a low around 58. On Wednesday, widespread haze is possible before 11 a.m., then sunny with a high near 88, and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 60. Tonight in Truckee, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 35. Wednesday should be sunny with a high near 74, and clear skies overnight with a low around 36. And in Angels Camp tonight, widespread haze is possible after 11 p.m. with a low around 62. On Wednesday, widespread haze is likely before 11 a.m., then sunny with a high near 86 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 60. I'm speaking with Jeff Merriman, and he's program manager of the Cannabis Compliance Division um, here in Nevada County. And we're going to be talking about a workshop that's going to be happening um, real soon. Uh, Welcome to KVMR, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, So we did talk about a a workshop a few months ago, and this is, I guess, a continuation of the of the series of um, regular thing that's probably going to happen. Tell us about this workshop and when and where it's going to be. Sure. So this is a virtual workshop uh, hosted by Ubinet. So um, Pascal from Ubinet is going to be hosting this uh, via Zoom. Uh, It's really a license type discussion. It's kind of the focus of the workshop. But within the discussion, um, really, there's an opportunity to talk about other things, too, like process, um, you know, any other uh, necessary edits to the ordinance or anything needed by the industry going forward. So it's just going to it's going to be a catch up on what's going on as, as part of what this is. Uh, it's more so a discussion on kind of where to go from here forward. So right now we're looking at um, implementing additional license types. Um, so, you know, what the needs are of the industry, um, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, processing or retail, and really try to gain feedback from the industry um, on what's the priority. Tell us about who's going to be on the panel. Yeah, so we're going to have um, Thomas Maioli, and he's with Nevada County Cannabis Compliance. Um, we're going to have Amy Wolfson. She's with the City of Nevada City Community Development. Uh, Tom uh, Last with the City of Grass Valley. Uh, Also, so that's the panel, but then in addition to the panel, uh, those listening in, we're going to have California Fish and Wildlife, uh, the California uh, Water Boards, and then uh, Circle, and uh, also the Cannabis Alliance. So several people also listening uh, to what's going on as well. 
Now, have there been any updates since the the last workshop you had con- uh, concerning the licensing types? Uh, not specifically to the license types. I think that's really the goal of this uh, discussion is to figure out, you know, what the focus is going to be and what we should work on this following year. Uh, now, will this be an opportunity uh, for the public to pr- provide some input on uh, future uh, local uh, cannabis licenses and types, or is this just an update on where we are right now? No, so the point of this is really to get feedback. So, um, you know, what the industry is looking for, what the needs are. Um, it's not really going to be an update. We have another workshop scheduled uh, for next week, and that's with uh, the Cannabis Alliance. That's kind of the regular Get Legit series. Uh, that's more of the, the workshop where we go through the permitting basics and updates and whatnot. Uh, this is really more specific to license-type discussions um, and what the uh, needs and wants are of the industry going forward. Well, what about if people have ideas on improvements to the uh, permitting and enforcement processes? Is Will that be okay to talk about that during this session? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, outside of license types, we're always looking for feedback. So if there's something that we can improve, whether it's communication or something within, um, you know, the permitting process, um, definitely, you know, this is a great opportunity to do that. Uh, you can submit questions uh, beforehand. I believe the email is townhall at ubinet.com. Uh, or if you're in the discussion on the Zoom meeting, you can also submit those via chat. Uh, I'm not sure that we will respond just because this is only an hour-long session. Uh, not sure that we'll respond during the session, but we'll definitely follow up with everybody if they have questions. So this is going to be a session that's really going to focus on looking to the future of cannabis uh, cultivation and business in Nevada County. Exactly. So uh, next steps, um, you know, as far as the ordinance, implementing new license types, you know, now that we're going into the second year of just having, um, you know, adult uh, medicinal cannabis, um, seeing that there's a need for other license types, whether it's manufacturing, processing, retail, um, you know, really trying to narrow down our focus on what the industry needs um, so we can provide that uh, for the cultivation community. Well, in general, if a person like right now is thinking about going into this business, uh, where would they start? Um, so they could call us, they could email us, they could schedule an appointment to come talk to us. Um, also, the Cannabis Alliance is a good resource. Um, they can definitely get you in the right direction. Uh, but we're here five days a week to answer questions, um, to you know help you um, Get ready for the process. Uh, any questions based on the application or your parcel? Um, you know, we're we're a great uh, first step resource. So, Jeff, uh, once again, just give us the basics about this workshop. Uh, when and and how? Um, not so much where. We know where it's going to be, but uh, sure, yeah, so just give us an update. On, just go ahead. Yeah, so it's on September twenty third. It's from five to six p.m. Uh, it's through Ubinet, so there'll be a link on the Ubinet website. Um, Nevada County social media will also have the link. Um, and like I said, it's a Zoom meeting, so you can submit questions beforehand or just join live and uh, submit your questions or comments uh, as we go through. Jeff Merriman, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR and for keeping us up to date on what's going on with cannabis in Nevada County. Thank you. Appreciate it.
This water news with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. And Steve, California is tackling some pretty big water problems these days. Uh, we could use, say, maybe some positive news. Um, <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah. What have you got for us? Well, let's start with that big water conveyance problem that everyone has been hearing for many, many years uh, in the Central Valley. There is an area in the Central Valley that has actually subsided. The ground has subsided. It's, there, it's affected a 35-mile a, a stretch of the Freont-Kern Canal. Okay, it's a big problem. Uh, this, this canal, this conveyance, is located along the eastern side of the Central Valley, so it would be in that Fresno area moving north-south. And it services, that water services farmers, as you would expect, but also cities and towns in the southern portions of the Central Valley going all the way down to the Bakersfield region. So the problem subsides. Well, everybody's heard about the uh, overpumping issues that have been happening in the Central Valley. Uh, that has caused a subsidence issue. The ground elevation... Uh, are, you know, the land you stand on, those that are listening right now, the ground that you're standing on is, is pushing back at you at the same, at the same, to the same degree. And it's not just the soil that's doing that, but also the water that occupies the void spaces between the soil that you're standing on. And so when you remove the water, which has been happening in the Central Valley through overpumping, you then have weakened that sediment and the sediment shifts ever so minutely. But if you're talking about many, many tens and hundreds of feet, you are going to see subsidence and you're going to have a water, uh, land elevation has actually dropped. And that's problematic for a gravity-drained uh, canal like the Freont uh, Current Canal. This 33-mile section now has uh, it's it's depressed, so it's not a smooth flowing uh, water flow in that particular canal. It uh, ends up accumulating in that depression, and that has reduced the amount of of water that can flow through there by 300,000 acre feet. That's a lot of water. In fact, I, I wanted to make this, you know, understandable to everybody. Imagine Scott's Flat Reservoir, okay, and the, when, when it's full, okay, seven and a half of, Scott, of full Scott's Flat Reservoirs, that's how much water we're talking about, is not able to flow through that canal and provide water to those municipalities and farmers uh, to the south of the Fresno area. So what the good news is, is that we have the Bureau of Reclamation that has acquired funding and uh, their focus is to restore, make the correction on this depression in this particular canal, which will make a huge difference for those people living in the southeastern part of our Central Valley region here in California. Okay, Steve, will this help the groundwater problem that caused this um, in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that really depends. Yes, an additional 1,600 cubic feet every single second of water flowing down there is going to be used by farmers and towns and so forth. And that water gets used, the consumptive part of that water is very small, and the rest of that water is going to go back in the ground again. So it's going to have a groundwater recharge effect to the shallow groundwater aquifer in that region and, and, and even underlying aquifers that are deeper. And um, and that's going to be added to the natural recharge rate when, as, when it rains in the wintertime. So that is, 
is great. This this uh, this is a benefit if if that happens. If the local groundwater communities allow this extra water to accumulate in the aquifer, but this is where it can go in the other direction. If everyone just says, "Oh, we've got more water," so they start pumping more water and using more water, then the aquifer is not going to rebound even from this benefit. And so uh, they're still left in the same difficult spot, uh, which is a depleted groundwater aquifer system. Now, that being said, the, by correcting the canal flow, uh, water's always going somewhere, right? Well, now if we, connect, if, if we correct that canal flow, then the water that has previous, in previous years been accumulating in the reservoir, maybe being used for other purposes or it's for the environment, it's now not there anymore. It's being shipped off to these communities to the south. And that presents a different set of concerns for people and groups that take issue to, to that stored reservoir water that's no longer being stored. It's being sent further south. Well, this sounds kind of familiar to me. Um, <laughs> is it about fish, Steve? Less water, less capacity for a healthy ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, then that's really good, perceptive. Uh, that has been the common viewpoint, but there, there's been a lot of thinking and research on this topic, and I think maybe heads are starting to turn on how we deal with that. The Public Policy Institute of California, they're down in, in Davis, uh, they've completed extensive research on this topic, and they've concluded that if you're, if you're focused on healing our rivers and helping struggling fish populations, uh, you don't just look at the water. You need to look at other things. In fact, they've looked, they're viewing it as uh, we need to address the problem holistically. And that means you look at all the parameters associated with, uh, with healing our rivers and, and streams and so forth. That would include water quality. That would include nutrient delivery, uh, uh, habitats, improve the habitats, uh, predator control, you know, all, all those things. And, and there are other things that I'm not aware of. I'm a hydrogeologist. I'm not involved in those things, but uh, but the holistic approach to correcting this problem will probably be met with some resistance, like everything else. And 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 as you know, it's not easy to change long existing viewpoints. So uh, I guess the bottom line on this is, yeah, this this is very positive. It's not just about the amount of water. We need to look at the whole thing, the whole picture when we're talking about improving our our, our ecosystems to make it more healthy for fish and other other things okay steve thanks for the information interesting uh discussion today and uh talk to you next week okay managing groundwater is steve baker's career and passion and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies this has been another conversation with kvmr's water guy steve baker you can email him with your questions at steve baker at operationunite.co what should we make of what the cdc said and then unsaid on friday the centers for disease control and prevention published new guidance it said the coronavirus is airborne that does not refer to the little droplets that travel a few feet from an infected person to scientists airborne means the virus may travel considerable distances and aerosol transmission might be one of the most common ways that it spreads. The guidance was up all weekend and then removed on Monday. The agency says this was a draft posted in error. 
Dr. Ali Khan is here to talk with us about this. He's a former CDC official, now the Dean of the College of Public Health at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. He's on Skype. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Thank you. And welcome back to the program. Wasn't it already widely understood that there was airborne transmission? Yes, Steve, absolutely. So there's nothing new in this change in guidance uh, that there's a minor role for airborne transmission. And we knew this from SARS coronavirus 1, and we now have additional data from this new SARS coronavirus 2. So the disease is predominantly large particle uh, aerosol. So that's why this is predominantly aerosol. So This is somebody standing in front of you who's coughing, speaking, sneezing, singing, for example, uh, is the major mode of transmission. Occasionally, we get this disease from contaminated surfaces. And then there's a minor role, again, for these small particle aerosols, which is what is referred as airborne transmission. And these are transmitted farther than six feet away, potentially around a corner, especially in poorly ventilated indoor spaces. And then finally, there's a yet even more minor role, probably, for transmission via feces. So nothing new here. Hmm. Well, what do you make of this uh, unremarkable guidance being published and then withdrawn? confusing. So CDC is not perfect and certainly has made some mistakes this past year. Uh, But with due respect to the agency, it's hard to imagine that this is one of them, given the scrutiny that they've had in all of their messaging. And for example, so just last week, we saw a flip-flop from CDC on testing of asymptomatic persons. We saw documented proof of manipulation of CDC's official publication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not hard to understand people questioning that these changes may be deliberate interference by the Ministry of Obfuscation and Misdirection. Which, of course, is not an official government office, but I gather you're suggesting the Trump administration is not happy with what the CDC is saying and is encouraging it to change things? Well, we've seen the deliberate undermining of public health over the course of this outbreak for political purpose. And we have seen numerous examples now of deliberate change of guidance that's not evidence-based. Can we still trust what the CDC tells us then? Unfortunately, it's becoming harder to trust what CDC tells us. Uh, And this is extremely unfortunate because trust is the most important thing we need during a pandemic as we tell people that regardless of this minor role of aerosol transmission, we have the tools available to us today to stop this outbreak in its track with test, trace, and isolate, and please do our part of wearing a mask, washing our hands, and socially uh, distancing. And this trust is going to be even more important as we tell people to roll up their sleeves and get vaccinated, uh, hopefully sometime at the end of this year and into next year. I'm glad you mentioned things like masking. I want to know if the practical advice after all of this confusion is still basically the same so far as you see it. Uh, See people outdoors rather than indoors, six feet apart, wear a mask, that sort of thing. Correct. The guidance doesn't change. So there's lots of nice, sophisticated aerobiology studies now that look at what happens when you sneeze and cough and how far these particles go and whether there's virus riding along in them. But we know that if we wear our masks and we couple that with the public health strategy of testing, isolating and tracing people, that we can get this disease under control. And actually, many countries have done so and some have even eliminated it, like, you know, Taiwan and New Zealand and China. Dr. Ali Khan, University of Nebraska, thanks. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Money Matters. I'm Mark Cunabardi. I've always said if printing money solves economic problems, how come we still have economic problems? 
or money supply, basically our currency, the U.S. dollar, is handled by the Federal Reserve. One of their missions is to assist the financial stability of the system any way it can. It has limits on what it can do, yet some argue it has exceeded its authority in recent decades. The savings alone bailout in the 80s, the 1997 long-term capital management rescue, the dot-com crash combined with the Y2K scare, then 9-11, the 08 real estate crash, and now COVID-19. The reasons for Fed intervention can be argued on each occasion. Interestingly, each subsequent crisis has been bigger than the last, and therefore each intervention by the Fed has encompassed more and more money. The Fed has a handful of tools it can use to try and juice the economy from what ails it. They include lowering overnight interest rates so financial institutions can borrow money cheaply. Lower overnight rates bleed over to consumer credit rates, making overall borrowing costs cheaper for all the consumers. The Feds can also add funds to the repurchase agreement mechanism known as repo, which lubricates the conduit for corporate credit. The repo market can and has frozen up during times of market stress. The Feds can also buy treasury and agency debt, which we call quantitative easing, or QE. QE is often mentioned in the news as a major tool of the Fed. Increasing QE increases the U.S. government deficit, however. It is seldom argued that at least these tools are outside of the Fed's permitted actions. Where the Feds cross into a gray area is the purchasing of private debt, which is corporate bonds and bond funds, or outright loaning money to private for-profit companies that may or may not be listed on the public exchanges. They may also in part be buying individual company stock and stock funds in partnership with the U.S. government. Much of the Fed's monies are used by the U.S. government and are used for stimulus checks and programs, projects, and direct assistance to consumers. Each time questions have been raised about the legality of Fed intervention, the reasoning trumps the discussion. In other words, many in Congress may be hesitant to voice concerns over reining in the Feds when Americans are in need of dire assistance. It is interesting to note that the Feds obviously feel the tools it explicitly has is not enough if it is tiptoeing around in the gray areas of its mandate. Additionally, it has ventured off course in the recent bailouts, starting even before the 08 housing crisis, without much objection. It may be of the opinion that as long as its needs are great, the rules it operates under should and will be relaxed. After all, it has dipped the proverbial toe in other areas of influence without much fanfare. The real question may be, does the Fed's main tool, which is manufacturing paper money, which is the U.S. dollar, and to throw it wherever needed, does it really solve a crisis, or is it just papering over a symptom of a much greater problem? Since the bailouts are getting larger and larger with each crisis, are they really using permanent solutions or just pushing the day of reckoning, if there is one, far out into the future? If the next crisis comes, when it comes, can the same tools be used again and again without ramifications? Experts disagree on the answer to this question, but a major concern is inflation raising its ugly head sometime in the near or far future due to the massive increase in the money supply from all these bailouts. Other countries throughout civilization who have tried monetary curation, or what we know as money printing, to permanently solve economic crisis have not come out unscathed. The ramifications have run the gamut to moderate inflation creeping stagflation, which is economic stagnation coupled with inflation, or a complete currency collapse. What's in store for us after all these bailouts remains to be seen, but we'll find out eventually. That's it for today's Money Matters. Remember, opinions expressed are my opinions only, and not necessarily those of any bank, investment advisory firms, news, media company, or broker-dealer. Nothing stated in this newscast is meant to ensure a guarantee of any kind or meant as individual investment advice. I hold California Insurance License OL34249, and our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Cooney. 
That's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, we bring you Embracing the Journey and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening.